Today on Locked On Vikings, we are going to wrap up the Everyman series with your new favorite long shot and, of course, a couple of entrenched starters. Welcome to the show. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is uh, SiriusXM or any other podcast listening app or platform. You can find it on YouTube if you want the video angle or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you so much to my hashtag everydayers. Those of you who listen to those to the show every single day, I love you all dearly. We have so much to get into today. I want to check in on a couple of quick news bits. The Vikings just did a walkthrough on Wednesday, so there's not a lot of camp to talk about. So instead, we're going to finish out the Everman series. We got Tay Gowan, who uh, was my sort of surprise standout from training camp. If you listen to yesterday's episode for kind of why, but how he got here is such an unbelievable inspiration. You're going to be rooting for him like crazy and Brian O'Neill and Christian Derisaw, a couple of players I'm sure you are all excited to hear more about. We love those guys. But first things first, let's get into some of the news. So the Vikings made a roster transaction. They cut Sam Schluter, the uh, longtime gopher offensive tackle that was looking for a foothold in the league, and signed another longtime tackle that has been looking for a foothold in the league. He has been looking for a long time. His name is Christian Delorio. He was uh, most recently a Denver Bronco. So kind of funny. They they did sign a Broncos lineman, just not the one you thought. <laughs> and he just got cut. So this is an opportunism thing, I think, for the Vikings. They just, hey, a guy got cut that we think is better than a guy in our building. Let's bring him in and let's cut our old guy. I, I think that's just all this is. I don't think he's going to make the team. He's been through seven NFL franchises. He has been on one active roster, and that's Denver's. Um, he's been in the league for five years. He has not taken one offensive snap, which is incredible. Like, usually guys that are on the practice squad for a long time will, like, you get, like, two or three years on the practice squad, and the rules used to kind of make it so it had to be two years, and you either were making teams or, or you weren't at that point. But just kind of naturally teams will just be a little bit more excited about the young guys. And once you're in year four, if you still are not really able to make a team, you're kind of the guy that can't make a team. And if we're going to keep a guy on the practice squad, you know, let's keep the guy from this year's draft class. So interesting stuff. Um, But that is quite the journeyman thing. I'm, I'm really curious to see if, if he can find any sort of foothold now that he actually has been on an active NFL roster, uh, even as a depth piece. But the other stuff I should check in on Wes Phillips and Matt Daniels talked to the media, gave us some clarity on injury things. Um, Alexander Madison's hamstring, very, very low level of concern there. Uh, he even participated in walkthrough, which what I talked about yesterday with hamstrings, they can kind of linger because they can re-aggravate. So if you really, if you, if you get a hamstring in the middle of the season and you are really working hard to get through it quickly, um, you can re-aggravate it really easily. So, you know, when you're in camp, it's like, whatever, we got a month, just let that thing heal. But if he's already participating in things, it kind of shows, all right, well, they're probably not that concerned about that because uh, honestly, the only important thing for Madison right now is joint practices. The regular day-to-day practices, he can skip for the sake of health. Easy peasy. 
Um, the other injury thing, Tristan Jackson, who fell awkwardly on his knee, they they are talking about it as a knee in injury, but no ligament damage, which is really important. So it might be like a calf strain, maybe, or something like that. Um, that's a much shorter timeline, although still kind of feels like he's going to miss all the camp, which really sucks for a guy like him that is sort of on the outside looking in, trying to make the roster and has a shot to. Um, but that's going to be obviously much harder, probably impossible for him now. And he probably will have to go try to find his way through someone else's practice squad. Um, that's the only injury updates we have. Uh, Marcus Davenport, Kenny Wongwu was in the walkthrough. Marcus Davenport was not. And there are a couple other players who like left in the middle of practice. Andrew Booth, for example, um, we didn't get any clarity on those guys, but I would like now to talk about my surprise standout guy. I'm super excited about, uh, I'm just excited to tell you about Tay Gowan because of what he went through. And, and like a few other players on the Vikings that we've talked about, um, Tay Gowan spent a long, a, a large portion of his youth dealing with homelessness. Um, homelessness in America is not really like when you think of a homeless person, you probably get this image of like a guy out on the street with a cardboard sign panhandling with, with a big beard and a big hat and a jacket, like, you know, oversized and maybe he smells a little weird. That's not really what homelessness manifests in, in like the statistical majority of cases. It's more people kind of trying to bounce from house to house and you know you got to stay with your friend for a while until they get sick of you and then you got to go stay with your sister until your sister can't put you up and you kind of have you never get to settle and be in one place and you're always asking people for favors and there's a certain weird stigma around that and you have to deal with like the emotional ramifications of that and the and the, the blow to your pride um that is what the gowans were dealing with Tay gowan's mother had him while in high school and he's the oldest of four. So he kind of grew up as the father figure that the family needed as like the big brother. Um, and then when he was in sixth grade, they, her mom lost her job and her section eight housing all at once. Uh, and so they kind of had to bounce around from there. And that meant when he was playing high school football, he wasn't able to really um, get traction, wasn't really get his, able to get his wheels down anywhere on in any of these scattered stops. And that means recruiters weren't really going to find him. So he was like a two-star recruit, despite probably playing better than that. And he ends up going to Miami of Ohio. And for this next part, he, he'll go to Juco. I try as I might, I could not find out why he went to Juco. It's just bad archiving from stuff from articles like way back then. But, um, I don't know if if you know or if Tay Gowan hears this. I'm curious to know, was it like a grades thing or something? Or were you maybe trying to find a path to exactly what you accomplished, which was getting to a better school? Because he goes through JUCO. He goes to Butler Community College in El Dorado, Kansas. He dominates there for a year, and then he ends up getting signed with UCF and becomes a starter there and actually has a great season in 2019 in UCF. So if that was a maneuver to just like get to a better school, that's brilliant. It worked. Uh but after that 2019 season, he's on a great trajectory to be a draft pick. Things get unprecedented. And this affects Tay Gowan personally really, really hard because he'll get sick. He'll get COVID. And it's sort of before we really knew. It was like early in the pandemic. So the idea of like, oh, you, you got sick? Quarantine, you know, social distance, wear a mask, you know, all these things. 
um, disinfect everything. Like we, we in like 2020 spring and summer, we were going crazy if you got it right. But they weren't really doing that uh, in in the earlier parts of it. So he brought it home. By the way, in 19, 2019, 2020, he had a baby. Um, and, and that baby came out prematurely. So he had this very vulnerable child and she got it. And his mother got it. His mother ends up hospitalized. So it's this really scary moment for that whole family. Um, and it spurs him to opt out of the 2020 season. He says, you know, hey, look, I'm on this great trajectory to be a draft pick, but family comes first. And I have to, I, I cannot put my family at risk of that again. That was way too scary. Everybody came out of it fine, but scared the heck out of everybody. And this will absolutely torpedo his draft stock. He'll end up, he won't even get a combine invite. But he works really hard to stay in shape over the course of that 2020 season. He goes to the next pro day and um, he, for the, for the 2021 draft, he'll go to the UCF pro day. He'll do well enough there. He'll end up sneaking into the sixth round with the Arizona Cardinals and he makes the team. And I got to think that there's this moment once you've made the roster where you think, oh my God, I did it. I overcame my upbringing. I overcame, you know, the, the circumstances that the family had to deal with. I overcame this COVID thing, this opt out thing, no combine invite. I overcame all of it. I'm in the NFL. Oh my God, I'm a Cardinal. And then you look up at the TV and you see that the Cardinals have, have traded for Zach Ertz and you're going the other way. <laughs> That's what happens. Tay Gowan is part of the uh, Zach Ertz trade goes back to Philadelphia. Now he thought Philly was going to draft him. So he was actually pretty good uh, with with that idea. It didn't take him long to warm up to it, but it still is like a new surrounding and all that. And it doesn't take as well. He'll play there for the 2021 season and then 2022. He won't make the team. And then he ends up pretty quickly on the Vikings practice squad, which leads him to here. But what I think is sick about all this is, I mean, that that is so many things that can derail someone's career. How many kids opted out of COVID didn't get drafted because of it? how many pro players opted out of COVID and it totally wrecked their careers? Um, you know, how many kids will deal with homelessness and never get recruited because they just didn't get noticed, right? Because they're moving around like that. How much, how many kids deal with just one of the things that Tay Gowan has dealt with? We'll never make it. And now here's Tay Gowan dominating special teams reps and making an, an honest to God shot, uh, honest to God push for the roster. It rules. I'm rooting for him so hard. And I, I hope you are too. Um, a couple other players that I'm sure you're all rooting for are the starters, Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw. So we have to talk about them and then we can wrap up the Everyman series. Before we do that, however, though, it is getting to be the fall hiring push around like September-ish where a lot of businesses will, will have openings and, and expansions and stuff. And for you, if you are in charge of one of those things, you have to be on LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is rated by small businesses, number one, for meeting everyone's hiring needs. Your hiring needs are your hiring needs. This is not a cookie cutter thing. You need to get somebody who fits your culture, who fits your company's needs. Like It's a very unique snowflake, every single opportunity. And that's what LinkedIn Jobs is for. They have this huge, I mean, they've got the, the biggest database of potential uh, hires in anywhere, right? Um, so go to LinkedIn jobs and you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. And they have all kinds of great hiring tools that help you narrow down that big pile of resumes into people that a group of people that do fit what your company needs. Once again, that is linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. 
Thanks again for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. Uh, Next up, I would like to talk to you about Brian O'Neill, who is currently injured, working his way back, although they all feel very, very optimistic about that. Um, You know, some guys find their place in this league immediately, in football immediately. They are, you know, I play this position, that's what I do. For other guys, the journey to that is kind of what's interesting, Um, where, well, I started doing this, but then I did that, but then I did that, but then I did that. Brian O'Neill is one of the latter. He was a defensive end and a wide receiver coming out of high school. He was really big for wide receiver, and and he was getting recruited as a pass-catching tight end, basically. It was sort of a weird package, but his high school coach kind of thought, hey, look, this dude's a good receiver. He can't really block, but which, knowing how this ends, very funny that his uh, high school coach thought that. Like, hey, he doesn't really block, but you could put him at, like, move tight end and maybe develop his blocking over time. He is, because he's a little bit of a weird package, he's not a prototypical wide receiver. He's a little bit too big to be prototypical wide receiver, but he's not really, he can't block, so he can't really be a tight end because it's like this weird thing. He doesn't get, he gets like James Madison and Colgate are coming around, but at the last minute, Pitt comes through and he does end up getting at least into like, you know, a a, a bigger school than, you know, Colgate. (laughs) And they have a plan for him. They're going to play him at tight end. They're going to teach him how to block. They're going to do that. Uh, But after his first year, there's an opening at tackle and at right tackle. And they say, hey, you're going to compete for that, actually. So it's time to bulk up right after classes end after his freshman year. Um, Pitt puts him on a diet, which I think diet is one of the most under uh, uh, under discussed, but really really fascinating things in football like nutrition and all of that and how these guys get control of their weight whether it's losing or gaining it just is is such a herculean effort and it sounds so miserable listen to this he is eating five meals a day he is knocking back 6,500 calories a day. And we're not talking about you can have a couple of shakes from Baskin Robbins and be good to go. No, this is um like real substantial food all the time, waking up at 3 a.m. to eat. And he will bulk up to like 255 by the time it's uh, time to play. Not quite big enough, but we're on our way. Nowadays, he's playing at about 305, which is pretty uh, a little bit slender for a tackle, but nothing crazy. Um, I, I think that's at least the way he was when he when he came out of college. I, I don't know if he bulked up anymore. Uh certainly hasn't had to because he it, it generated this weird like fast style of play but he did have to build a blocking ability from scratch remember he was a receiver he didn't really block um so he learned already being fast for the position and versus somebody who plays tackle all their life and then later realizes oh i'm small i have to adjust it he learned Okay, I need to learn how to block and I'm small for this position. So he learned all the different ways to use speed to his advantage and become like like that style of blocker like from the get-go. There's no wasted motion. He's immediately targeting the guy he's going to be in the NFL. Um so he'll do that and he he will win uh the starting right guard job and and you kind of know the rest of the story. He keeps working, he keeps bulking up, he keeps gaining weight. 
Um, by the time he gets to the draft, he's seen as sort of raw because he's still, you know, he's only been at the position for three years, but he's this super athletic guy. He's finished growing out and all this stuff, and he's the perfect size, and he's a, this prototypical tackle. If only you can teach him this, that, and the other. Um, and then they taught him this, that, and the other. <laughs> and fast forward to now, he's a, a leader on the offensive line. He's the longest tenured member of the offensive line. Um, and And he leads with this personality that is really hard to get a handle on uh even for people like Lindsay Young wrote a great article that that I'll link for you um in the show notes about his sort of leadership in the offensive line which is palpable and undeniable but also in a way impossible to describe to someone even when you ask when Lindsay Young asked like Garrett Bradbury or other people who were there at the time, like Riley Reef, who was with him. And then when Riley Reef left to Cincinnati, Brian O'Neill really kind of took over as the elder statesman. Um, if you ask any of those guys, they're like, yeah, I don't know. He's just like kind of weird. Like, that's like all they say is like, what does that mean? And it's, it's hard to get like a grasp on it, but he's just kind of goofy. And there is, I mean, with offensive line, it's so easy, especially at the lower levels, for one bad play to become 10 bad plays. And so you have to learn to keep this this sort of even keel. So he'll actually do this. He'll like put his arm in the middle of his chest, like kind of right, like like he's measuring up a four foot person. Um, and he'll just put his arm right in the middle of his chest. And it's just, hey, stay on the even, not too high, not too low. And he reminds people all the time. If you ask Garrett Bradbury about this, Bradbury thinks that he's telling himself more that more than he's telling other people because he has to remind himself and he will get angry. Uh, they, they have, I think they call it Ryan when Ryan comes out it's not Brian, it's Ryan. Uh, and when Ryan comes out, you know, you don't want Ryan to come out. That means things are going bad. The, the whole Vikings O-line has this weird rapport because a bunch of them have been together for a while now, you know, Brian O'Neill, 2018, Bradbury, 2019, Cleveland, 2020, Dara saw 2021, right? Like we've just added kind of one extra guy to this every year. And then Ingram 2022. Uh, and so the, the older guys have been around for a while now and have this weird rapport, but it seems to really be the ringleader of it is Brian O'Neill's really goofball, weird guy. Energy <laughs> seems to go very well with Kirk, honestly. And I think uh, Kirk enjoys the company of that offensive line. I think those guys really hang out a lot. Uh, or at least I see like pictures of it a lot, but it's interesting to kind of go back to this, like tall, skinny kid that played wide receiver that had to sort of build everything that he is completely from scratch from the way that he blocks to his body, to the leadership style and personality that he had to build over time as he went from you know the young upstart rookie that's just fighting Rashad Hill for a for a spot a starting spot to okay Riley Reef is out and now I'm kind of the guy that that you're all looking to for advice because I've been here the longest um it's really cool to watch a guy grow like that and 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 keep growing uh as as time goes on and for a story of growth we we can look no further you know, I don't even know if I'd call it a story of growth. Perhaps it's a story of other people catching on, no matter how long it took them. It's Christian Derisaw. Before we do that, however, uh, I would like 
to talk to you about the next sponsor of the day's episode, which is Underdog Fantasy. August is here, and that means it is the official start of fantasy football draft season. We're all over it, right? So you can get championship ready for your home league by trying out Best Ball on Underdog Fantasy. It's a huge, they have a huge mania tournament, but all you have to do in Best Ball, one live snake drafts, no waivers, no trades, and Underdog sets your best lineup every week. So you do one draft and then that's it. You just watch it ride. Try it out with Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament. It's the largest fantasy football contest of all time and it's back and it's even bigger with $15 million in total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. Last year, the winner drafted their team in July, so don't wait around. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store to sign up with the promo code locked on to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. So I talk a lot on this show about how I got Christian Derisaw wrong. And one of the things about Christian Derisaw coming out of college was, boy, he just doesn't finish, guys. What's his physicality? Is his physicality okay? And it's a very funny thing that that was the deal coming out of the draft. Because asking that question today, you would be like, have you ever seen Christian Derisaw play? Like, that couldn't be further from the truth. But that was that was the narrative at the time, and he's very well disproven it. And in researching this, I felt a little comforted. Because I'm far from the first person to have that question about uh, Christian Derisaw. Way back in Maryland, uh, when he was going into high school, as this tall and skinny kid that, that listened more than he talked, he caught the eye of Caesar Nettles, who is the high school football coach at Riverdale Baptist in Maryland, which is a private school that was within the range of Christian Derisaw. Played a little first base, a little basketball. And because he was tall for his age and he had like that particular kind of running athleticism that comes with being a baseball and basketball player, that sort of short burst run, um, he looked like a tackle. And they said, you're going to be a tackle. And he said, yes, sir. Even though he more so wanted to be a tight end when he played football, he liked being a tight end. He wanted to catch passes. That's a lot more glitzy and glamorous. But they explained to him um, that it's, you know, hey, look, look at look at what the scholarships that left tackles get versus what you have to do to be a tight end to get a scholarship. And, um, you know, the money left tackles make in the NFL, you're going to be a left tackle. You're going to be okay. Um, after one year being on the JV team for his freshman year, then the varsity coach called him over and he ended up sticking with the varsity coach and they, they taught him. He was still kind of small. Um, he was still skinny. And so he didn't have the bulk and the strength to really finish off blocks as a as a 10th grader on varsity. You know, these kids are mostly older and stronger than you. So they were teaching him a lot of the techniques, kind of like with Brian O'Neill of, hey, you're smaller than the guy. Here's how you really finish someone who you're, who's bigger than you. Here's how you block someone who's bigger than you. Um, and, and all of those different techniques of, of, of leverage and, and hand placement and sort of understanding, hey, you're not going to be the biggest guy on the field this year, so you have to win with impeccable technique. Because you don't have a size advantage, you have absolutely no room to make a mistake, to miss a line, to miss a step. You have to have perfect posture all the time, and that really sticks with him. And he is very much a, a workhorse kind of guy, a very head-down hard worker. He still is to this day, I think. He listens more than he talks. Um, so that year, a college coach at an FBS school 
showed up to scout another player at Riverdale Baptist. A lot of kids come out of Riverdale Baptist. Um, Derisaw talks to this college coach eventually and says, nah, you're sorry. You're going to be too small, too small for the FBS. And, and he took that personally. So after that year, he hits the weight room. He starts uh, knocking back way more food. He eats like crazy, works out like crazy. And then suddenly he was huge. They say, you know, size of the refrigerator, but he could still move. It was all muscle. So he could still move the same way he used to still had that perfect tackle athleticism, but now suddenly he's strong. Oh, and by the way, he didn't stop doing the thing where everything has to be perfect. So suddenly this is turning into this package this really, really exciting guy. Um, but for whatever reason, guys aren't recruiting him. He's not getting a, a lot of attention. They'll have this scrimmage around recruiting time for Darasaw, Riverdale Baptist versus a school called uh, DeMartha, DeMartha. Um, I, I think I might have wrote that down wrong. But he scrim scrimmages against the premier kid in Maryland. You might have heard his name. His name was Chase Young. Scrimmaging versus Chase Young held, holds his own against Chase Young. So all of his coaches are going, well, now he's held his own over this like super hyped up kid all, all over the nation. Surely now he's going to start getting attention, but he doesn't. Eventually, uh, there's a, a coach from Virginia Tech who's also comes to Riverdale Baptist to scout someone else. And Caesar Nettles goes, OK, I know you're here for this, but you've got to check out this this kid. We got Christian. Um, and that coach, pretty impressed with what he sees, brings it back to his head, his head coach. And says, hey, look at this interesting kid from 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 Riverdale Baptist and the head coach kind of says, yeah, I'm worried about his physicality. And I, I think in hindsight, what he's put, what, what he puts together, why he was skeptical to begin with was that his posture stance, his, his foot placement, his weight, his weight distribution, everything was so perfect that he never really had to strain himself to win a rep. And he was always in the perfect position and it was always very textbook. And so it was easy to kind of look to, to mistake it for him just going through the motions. And because you never saw that rep where he's really, you know, leaning back and really uncoiling his hips and doing the big, you know, the, the, the big over-exaggerated motion. Sometimes you have to do to win a rep. Like he was never scrapping and, and you're going, well, can this kid scrap? You know, can he, can he be physical? he was winning with finesse and not technique or finesse and not physicality. And they were worried. Does he have physicality? So because of random NCAA academic nonsense, that doesn't matter. Um, he will end up actually having to take a class at a military academy, which further enforces this head down, even keel temperament. He already has. And that's part of it too. All these recruiters will interview Christian Derrissaw and they'll, he's like meek. He's like this sort of quiet kid. And they're like, well, that's not really, I want a mean kid. Like, why would give this shy dude out of here that doesn't even look like he's a scrapper? Like, I want a fighter, you know? And, and so they would kind of overlook him. Military Academy, I mean, that's getting up at 4 a.m., sweeping the floors, doing all kinds of, uh, like, working like a dog um, just to get that extra class. That will reinforce that even keel temperament and i think you see it on the vikings too where he's just this unflappable rock you're never too high you're never too low he's somebody described it as i mean he's the guy he just clocks in he does his work he clocks out 
And there's that workman's that blue collarness that I think really applies well to offensive lines specifically, which is a job where you don't want the guy that wants the glory. Um, and, and it's interesting to hear these stories about recruiters sort of mistaking that for meekness and for, you know, a lack of physicality. Anyways, so he goes to Virginia Tech and the head coach still isn't sold. So they put him in. They do this thing called Bull in the Ring. Bull in the Ring is everybody lines up in a circle and we say you and you come in here and they tussle. And then, you know, that's over and then you get two more and they tussle. Christian Derrissaw's turn comes up and he wins his little first little block, right? And uh, or his little kind of one on one thing, kind of Oklahoma drillish, but with but without the running start, I guess. Um, and they want to test his physicality, so they say, No, no, Christian, you stay in, we're gonna bring another guy, and he beats that other guy. Okay, let's bring another guy, and he beats the third guy, fourth guy, fifth guy, sixth guy, and they go, Okay, I think the physicality's fine. <laughs> he was just out, out muscling and 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 fighting like heck in this drill specifically made to make you fight like heck. And as soon as he's called upon to do it, boy, he can do it. And then that sort of changes the entire paradigm because before it was, well, why isn't he being physical with anybody? And now you realize he could have been physical with any of them and he just didn't need to. Oh, he's that good. And that gets them all really, really excited. But then we get to draft season and jabronis like me are making the same mistake. And I think I can forgive myself for making that mistake because if I if I look at that, that is the same thing that I was kind of seeing was, you know, why isn't he putting guys into the turf? You know, why why don't I see him scrapping? Why does everything look so clinical? And it's because it's clinic tape. Um, and now you look at the way that he plays and he breaks a lot of the rules technique wise. He does a lot of just scrapping. It's part of his identity now. And I think depending on what the situation calls for, he can be that picture perfect made in a lab uh, offensive tackle with with made in a lab technique, or he can be like just a baller. Depends on who you're going against, what the situation is. Am I behind? Do I have to recover in a rep? Having both of those modes available to you is the kind of thing that makes you an elite tackle. And I'm very excited to wrap out the Everman series with an elite tackle. We did it. If you count the uh, quick overviews I did of all the new players, we've done every player on the current 90-man roster, and then some guys like Schluter, who got cut, or Malik Bulls, who got cut. Um, So probably closer to like 93, 94 players. Did it. We went over every single one. So if you have a player on the Vikings, you want to hear their story. Some of them are in abstract versions, like Kirk Cousins. I talked about the Netflix series, you know, instead of just going over his backstory for the 100th time when he went to Michigan State. Like, we all know that. Uh, you can go find it if you just search it out on uh, Locked on Vikings. You might have to do a little bit of Googling for the guys that are more uh, obscure, but they're there. Um, very, very happy to be done with that, uh, or very, very happy to have done that, to have accomplished that, rather. Really cool stuff. Um, night practice is on Thursday, so I'll be back. Uh, I'll be live after the night practice, and then um, I'll be able to uh I'll, I'll be able to answer your questions on that and then i'll do a show afterwards as well so i will see you all tomorrow for that and as always skull